It's good to see you all here. For those of you who don't know me, haven't got any idea who this person is, I'm Kate. I'm the minister of the church here, and it's great to have you all here. Um, We welcome friends and family of John and Jules, and who've come to celebrate the dedication of little baby James. I call him baby James because I have a James who's not a baby, and so it's distinguished in my head. So that would be why. Um, If you haven't been to church before, if this is something that you're experiencing for the first time, oh, just go with it, you know. There's many things we do that can be slightly strange and odd and weird, but it can also be quite good fun and at times exciting. And maybe today will be one of those times. I'm sure it will. Not maybe, it will. Well, I know that a few people have been back to school this week. Mm. Has it gone good? What would you say on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best week ever in the world, and 1 being, oh, really didn't want to do that? Who would say that this past week has been a 10? Oh, really? Well, that surprised me. Okay, let's go for a... We'll skip the 9. Let's go for an 8. Who's had an 8? That's not bad. 8's not bad. 7? 6? Okay, there's still not many people put their hand up. Five, four, people just not participating. Three, two, one. Okay, there were definitely people. Oh, zero. Oh, dear. Okay. So some of you have had a good week, some of you not so good. You know, I always find in the church, last weekend was Easter weekend, and we build up to Easter, and we have celebration at Easter, and then everyone goes, oh, Easter's over, let's just get back to normal. That's how the church life works. And actually, do you know, it seems in the Bible that Jesus had a little bit of a rest as well. There's, there's a passage that says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir to all things. It says this, that after Jesus had died for our sins, he went and he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, if that's not having a rest, I don't know what is. After he'd done all the things of Easter, he went and sat down at the right hand of God. But actually, you know, that doesn't mean that Jesus has gone away. It just means that the things of Easter, the new life that was begun there, is to continue from now on. And that's what we celebrate at church, not just on Easter Sunday, but on every Sunday, that God has come, that we can have new life, and that we can enjoy that life in his presence. We're going to sing a hymn this morning as we begin. It's an old hymn. Hopefully, some of you will know that, and... We're going to still continue to celebrate and worship God, even after Easter. So many of you have gathered here to celebrate and to be part of the dedication of little James. We welcome friends and family of John and Jules and John Mark. And we also welcome here people via phones. It's very exciting. I'm a little bit nervous, technology. I can't cope. Anyway, they're here with us. Um, For those of you who haven't been to a dedication before, and indeed those of you who have, um, what we do at a dedication is we, the family will gather up the front, and godparents and people on phones, 
very exciting. And we will make promises um, to care for and look after James, to bring him up uh, before God and to enable him to see what God is like through the way that we treat him and the way that we love him. Um, We don't bring children to a dedication to make them Christians. We don't bring them because it's a magical thing that suddenly happens within them. Uh, We bring them to thank God for their lives. And especially for little James, who uh, we prayed a lot for. Um, He really is a wonderful gift from God, especially all those weeks, months, that Jules was in hospital and uh, we were praying for his safety. We also remember at a dedication that we are reliant on God for our every breath, that we wake up in the morning because God gives us breath to breathe, and we thank him for our own lives as well. We remember how Jesus welcomed little children, and he blessed them. Even when everyone around him was saying, tell the children to go away, he welcomed them. And we also remember how Jesus himself, as a little baby, was brought to the temple and God was thanked for his life too. We will ask for strength and wisdom and much needed patience for John and Jules as they bring him up. And we will pray that God will be with them. So I would like to invite up to the front the family, John, Jules, John Mark, James of course, and also Andy who is here in body as one of the godparents and Mick and Christine, who are here via the phones. Would you all like to come up to the front here? Do join me. Feel a bit lonely. Oh, thank you, John Mark. Wonderful. No one else is coming. It's just you. Anyone else? Family? Godparents? Come up to the front now. That'd be good. (laughs) Wonderful. Welcome. So, do we have um, Christine and Mick with us? Shall we say hello? Hello, Christine and Mick. (laughs) Wonderful. It's good. It's very off-putting because you can't see them, you know. But I'm sure they're. Oh, hello. (laughs) Excellent. Good. Welcome. It's good that you can join us. Joining us from Um, uh, Vancouver and South Africa. Brilliant. It's really lovely that you're all standing so close, but you can spread out a little bit. I mean, I don't mind, but, you know, just so everyone can see. So we make some promises together at um, a dedication. Um, We've come to thank God for little James and uh, also to promise to look after him and care for him. So I'm going to ask John and Jules a few questions, and then John Mark, and then the godparents, collectively, and we'll see what happens. So John and Jules, you've come to thank God for the gift of James. You've come to dedicate yourselves as parents to care for him, to teach him and enable him to learn about Jesus, and encourage him to get to know God, and one day truly follow him. So, John and Jules, as you thank God for the gift of your child, do you accept the joys and the hard times and the responsibilities of parenthood? We do. I told you to say the right answers, Jules, today. Will you make every effort to live in such a way that you will not become a hindrance but will be a good example to your child? Always makes me smile, that question. Yeah. 
Do you promise to encourage your son to share in the life of the Christian community and to help him discover the good news of Jesus Christ? And so, John Mark, I have a question for you. Will you promise to love and help care for your brother? Yes, we heard it. Wonderful. What a brilliant answer. Oh, yes. Will you help to change the nappies? Yeah. Oh. Sure. Anything else while we... No. Okay. And now um, I would like to address the godparents. Andy, who is here? Well, I know. Strange. But, you know. And Yes. Oh. Hello. Hello. I would like to um, address you with a question. Christine, Andy, Mick. Do you promise to pray for James and encourage him to follow Christ? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Do you support John and Jules as they endeavour to bring their son up before God? Yes. Yeah, wonderful. We're getting answers. Yeah, three yeses. Bingo. Oh, no, wrong. We're in church. Okay, now, here we are, you see. Little James does like me. I know. But invariably, this goes terribly wrong. Hello. Oh, oh, we're stuck. For a starter, we're stuck. Hello. Oh, and we've got a microphone, we've got a necklace, and we've got a baby. What could go wrong? This is little James, wonderful little James, who we prayed so hard for to be born safe and sound. A miracle, aren't you? This, oh no, this <laughs> is the church family and family and friends. What do you think? Non plus. Not bothered. I'll just chew my finger. It's wonderful to have you here with us. Do you want me to turn you around so you can see? that better? You can, oh, look, it's all gone wrong with the microphone. You can see my notes now. What do you think? Do you think they'll enjoy the talk? Nonplussed. So, James, lovely James, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. From this day on. Amen. Do you know you have a question to answer? Oh, yes. Family and friends and people of this church, do you endeavour to the best of your ability to offer James and his family your love and support and to pray for them as they seek to follow God? Wonderful. Yes. They did. I know. That's what I thought. There we go. Now, we're going to pray together. Um, As many of you will know, Jules had been hoping that her mum might be here at the dedication today, but sadly, her mum passed away a few months ago. And so, it's a happy occasion, but there is some sadness in this occasion as well. And so, we're going to pray for Jules and John and John, Mark and James as we think about Jules's mom as well who can't be here. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we thank you so much that we can gather here and celebrate and thank you for the life of James. We think about the miracle that he is and we think about all those weeks that we were praying for his safe arrival. But in this time we also remember that Jules's mom is not here and we thank you too for the life that she lived. We thank you that you walked with her through life too. And we pray that through the way that Jules and John are, through the stories they tell of her, that James would get to know what she was like too. We pray, Lord, that the goodness that was in her, the things that she did that had a positive influence would live on through Jules and John. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless them. We ask that you would surround them as they endeavour with John Mark to live as a family and to live as you would want. We pray you would give them all that they need. Provide them with the strength and the courage and the patience and when mistakes are made, the ability to say sorry as well and to forgive. We ask you to surround them and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Round of applause, please, I think. Look, I've even got a manka tissue that's five weeks old. We're going to have a reading from the Bible now, which Miranda will come up and read to us, um, and then we'll hear what God has to say. Now that the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other, about everything that had happened as they walked and talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened these last days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, 
Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So in he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. I don't know whether you've heard, but it seems that in just over six weeks, we're going to have another general election. If you turned on the TV or the radio in the last few days, or looked at the internet or read the papers, you can't fail to see that campaigning is underway already. There have been statements and counter-statements and arguments and counter-arguments, and facts, and pledges, and news, and probably false news, as politicians everywhere try and get their voices heard. It's a little bit like watching an argument in public. You know, slightly awkward and irritating, but somehow you end up watching, and sometimes you get involved. Which is fine when it's politics, and that's the idea of it, you know, to get people involved. But generally, seeing an argument in public is a little bit off-putting. Especially when it's you that's having the argument in public. I don't know whether this has ever happened to anyone here. I'm sure it has, even if you won't admit it, you know, arguing at the meat counter in Tesco's or next to the shampoo in Boots, by the compost in the garden centre. Happens all over the place, does to me anyway. Maybe it's just me. It can be a little bit embarrassing when you argue in public especially if others become aware of what is happening. And it can be even more embarrassing when people get involved. I remember Simon and I, when we lived in London, and we didn't have children, we still argued. That's interesting. And we were in Sainsbury's, and uh, we were having an argument. I can't remember what it was about. Probably nothing really that important. And we were over the cheeses, remember that, and we were really going at it, trying, you know discreetly and then it ended with sort of like a a hateful stare at each other over the brie and we were staring at each other and suddenly someone from our church came up next to us and was like poked their head between us and went oh it's so beautiful to see a married couple looking lovingly into each other's eyes (laughs) I don't know what their marriage was like I was like lovingly you know So cue nervous laughter and attempt to change the subject and all that. Because, you know, when you're deep in conversation, whether it be a discussion or an actual full-on argument, unlike politics, the last thing you want is someone coming and joining you, you know, especially someone you know. And yet here in that passage that was read from the Bible by Miranda from the book of Luke, very soon after Jesus has risen from the dead, we have this very situation because... 
You see, following the terrible events of Good Friday when Jesus was killed and the slightly confusing stories that have begun to circulate that maybe he's alive, we're taken on a journey of about seven miles with two followers of Jesus who are in deep discussion. One of them is called Cleopas. And although we don't know the other one's name, it could be fair to assume that they were man and wife. And they were travelling along this road, two followers of Jesus, coming away from the events in Jerusalem on their way to a little village of Emmaus. And from the original wording and the tone of the passage, it would seem that these two followers are having, if not a disagreement, certainly a deep and intense discussion. The type of discussion you would ideally want to have in private with no one else listening. And the subject of their discussion as they walk along is, of course, the events of the past few days. What has happened to Jesus, their leader, this person they had chosen to follow? They're walking, they're talking, they're discussing, they're arguing, they're battling about what has happened. They're in deep conversation when suddenly Jesus himself comes up and walks alongside them. Now, on many levels, this could be slightly awkward. For a start, they're talking about Jesus, and there he is, suddenly next to them. But also, because they're followers of a man who has just been hunted down and killed, and they were following him. The last thing they would want is someone else coming up and starting to listen to their conversation, hearing that they too are followers of a way of life that the authorities are trying to get rid of and crush. And yet, despite not recognising who Jesus is, they allow him to become part of their conversation. In fact, when he asks them, what are you discussing together? Although they're amazed that he doesn't seem to know what has gone on, they explain all that has happened and how they are followers of Jesus and how they're feeling. They explain about Jesus' teaching and his ministry and all the things that they've done and about his death. And about these mysterious stories that are starting to arise about maybe he's alive. And not only that, but they open up to this stranger in a remarkable way about how they feel about what has happened. About their hopes and their dreams, about their sense of horror that it's all gone wrong, about their disappointment and confusion, about their lack of belief. And their sense of what now? What now? in a story that started so brightly and seems to have ended so horribly. And when they finished sharing this discussion with them, when they finished opening up their hearts and pouring out how they feel, Jesus, where you might expect maybe a little bit of sympathy, a little bit of empathy, these people are hurting, he says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, how slow to believe all that you should know might have been at this point that this couple wished they'd kept the discussion to themselves, you know, not invited him to join them. But then in the same breath, Jesus spends the rest of the journey, those seven miles to Emmaus, talking about the story of God, working his way through the Old Testament, which is a lot of information, a whole collection of writings, and showing this lost and confused couple where his death, his sacrifice, fits into the story of God's love for people. And it must have been an amazing conversation, because when Jesus had finished, instead of them going in opposite directions, they appealed to him, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day's almost over, stay. 
And so Jesus stays and he takes some bread as they're eating a meal and he breaks it and he gives thanks to God. And it's then that their eyes are opened and they suddenly realise who he is. They suddenly recognise that Jesus is here. But not only that, they also recognise that Jesus has been with them all along. Not just in that moment at that table with the bread, but on the long conversation on the road to Emmaus. In all their questioning and all their struggling and all their arguing, in all their doubts and their fears and confusion, he'd been there too. Were not our hearts burning within us, they said, as if they suddenly knew that Jesus had been walking with them all this time until eventually he'd opened their eyes to see how close he was as they journeyed together. Do you know, it made me think when I was reading this, I don't know whether, well, you probably have been watching the news, but there was one little clip of a reporter in Scotland and he was walking along with the camera on him and he was talking about Nicola Sturgeon. And he was saying, I don't imagine that Nicola Sturgeon can count this next election as a success because the last one, she got so many seats, how could she possibly better that? And he was going on about what can she do. Little did he know that Nicola Sturgeon was walking behind him. And we, the viewers, could see him talking into the camera and her right behind him. And she became aware that he was talking about how difficult it would be for her and is she still popular in Scotland? And, and suddenly she walked up to him and she went, hello, how are you? And he was a little bit embarrassed, to say the least, because he realised she'd been there all along while he'd been talking about her and her chances and how slim they were. And, you know, as I think about that picture of her walking beside him, and I work my way through this story in the Bible of Jesus walking beside these people, a story that's set on a road, but is actually about a journey of faith. It reminds me what it is like to journey with God. It reminds me of the kind of God we have and how he patiently walks with us each day. Because, you know, as I've travelled through my Christian life, I've heard a lot of people talk about what it should be like to have a relationship with Jesus. I've heard a lot of talk and a lot of teaching about what we need to do to be able to have a relationship with God. And the main phrase I've heard and sometimes used in the past has been, to follow Jesus, you need to do this. To follow Jesus, you need to do that. To follow Jesus, you need to put in hard work. And then you'll draw close to God. And practices that are mentioned that we need to do are things like prayer and reading the Bible and coming to church, which, you know, are really good and important. But somehow, when presented as steps that we need to do to get anywhere near God, well, they can come across as extremely unhelpful, I think. Because I don't know about you, but invariably, I don't manage to do all these things. I don't manage to do them. I mean, depending on what stage of life I'm at, depending on what's been happening around me, depending on what's going on in life that has affected me and is around me at that time, I find it very difficult to be always doing what I should be doing. For instance, at the moment, I more often than not hopelessly fail to read and study, and pray, and reflect as I should. I have two small boys. 
So therefore, I'm lucky if I sit down for a moment during the day, let alone get my brain in gear to manage to focus on something other than making it to the end of the day. Hopefully, having been in the right place at the right time with the right people. And I congratulate myself when I do all of these things in the right order. I celebrate that's a good day. So then to feel that I have to be in a certain place spiritually to be close to God as well, to feel that I have to have it all together and be able to do certain things well to draw near to God, can sometimes be too much and also a little bit unhelpful. When actually this doesn't seem to me how it works with God. And it's certainly not how this journey of faith worked for Cleopas and his companion as they struggled along on that road after the Easter weekend. I mean, these were people, don't get me wrong, who had followed Jesus when he was alive. They were people who had heard him teach. They'd seen miracles. They'd read scriptures, the Bible, concerning Jesus' resurrection. And here they were just days later, and they were doubting. And they were debating and they were discussing. They were even arguing about what had happened. Here they were worn out by the trauma of the weekend. In terms of reading the Bible and praying and being in the right place to get close to God, they were miles from what people would say was a close relationship. They were teetering on the edge of disbelief. And yet God didn't wait for them to pray He didn't wait for them to study. He didn't wait for them to work their way back to him, as we're sometimes told. Instead, he went and found them. As Jesus walked with them, it was him that drew alongside them. It was him that walked with them. Sure, he told them off for being a little bit slow to believe, but in the same breath, It was him who explained all about what had happened. It was him who opened their eyes. It was him who reignited their failing faith. In other words, it wasn't them that worked their way back to him. It was Jesus who, in the midst of where they were in life, met with them and led them towards a new way of being. And you know, this really should be no surprise because in the Bible, it's Jesus who says, here I am. I'm not like Miles over there. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens that door, I will come in and I'll eat with them and I'll be with them. I'm knocking. After all, isn't it Jesus who initiates a relationship in the first place? It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Isn't it God who's proactive in finding us? So why then do we suddenly feel that it's all down to us and how hard we work and how right we live that decides whether we're close to him or not. How about we turn it on its head and instead of beating ourselves up for not being good enough, we begin from the premise that no matter what, God is here and he loves us. God is close to us. That in our confusion and our doubt, and our disappointment, and our fear, and our teetering faith, as well as when we're on it and raring to go, God is close, because God has chosen to walk with us at all times. It's him who draws alongside, it's him who helps to bring us back to life. And you know, we don't always feel that he's there, 
We don't always recognise what he's doing. But if we allow him to work, if we allow him to help us to understand, if we give him the opportunity to slowly and gradually show us more what he is like, then surely we'll look back and see throughout all things that God was there and actually God was close. And yes, in the process, we pray. And yes, we read the Bible. And yes, we come to church. And at times, it can demand a change of our priorities. But we don't do this in an attempt to make God like us and come close to us. Rather, we do it in response to the fact that he is here. And we want to know more. And we want to have a different life. This is our God. This is what grace is. That God walks with us through all things at all times. And I pray that we will recognise him in all the things that we do. Let's pause to pray together before we sing our final song this morning.